Hi and welcome back to the Inner Healing After Narcissistic Abuse podcast. My name is Jasmine, your host, and today's episode is going to be all about finding out the warning signs of narcissistic abuse. Now this topic is really important because so many women come to me and they say, I wish I saw the signs, I wish I saw the warning signs. And this particular episode will go more into particular um, detail about some of the warning signs that you might experience and really provide an overview of what can happen when you first start, um, you know, dating a narcissistic individual. And before we get into the episode, I just wanted to remind everyone that you can now find my podcast episodes on my website at www.feelinglife.com forward slash podcast. There you can find all the show notes and the um, different ways to subscribe. So the podcast is now available via iTunes, Anchor, Pocket Casts and Radio Public. So feel free to um, jump on my website and you can find out more about me there as well. So let's get on with the show. Welcome back everyone to another episode and today we're talking about the warning signs of narcissistic abuse. Now this is relating directly to those of us who have experienced narcissistic abuse in relationships and one of the things that I'd like to start off sharing is this, you know, very, very common um, aspect of the narcissist moving very quickly early on in a relationship. Now, for some of us, um, the relationship might have progressed in a way where we, you know, moved in together very quickly, maybe got engaged after a few months or, you know, even started having children very, very quickly. And, you know, some of the other things that you might experience, maybe if it wasn't so extreme for you, was that, the you know narcissist might have showered you with so much attention you know they might have asked so many questions about you you know made it seem like they really wanted to get to know you and I know it's something that I experienced and found really flattering and really exciting to know that this person really cared and was interested to get to know me and on the other side of that was though that I didn't realize that I was actually handing over a manual to, you know, how to basically emotionally abuse me and learn all about my wounds and triggers and, you know, my upbringing and what I really crave from a relationship, things like that. You know, they really learn very quickly how to hold all of these things against us. And so while a lot of people ask me, you know, is this a conscious thing that they do? Do they really know that they're aware of it? It's really hard to say. I think some people, you know, some of my clients tell me that they really believe that their narcissist was really, you know, conscious and aware of the fact that they were asking all these questions. From my personal experience, I think it was more that it was unconscious in the sense that they didn't know that they were doing it so that they could abuse me because I find that a lot of these type of behaviours um, in narcissistic abuse are unconscious they are coming from a deeply wounded place and the individual is really trying to get to know you so they know, you know, in times of devaluation or discard phases of the cycle of emotional abuse that they know how to basically hook you back in or how to really hurt you so that you feel it. So another thing you might have experienced um, that goes along with that kind of, you know, sharing of attention is receiving lots of compliments or gifts and even this you know idea of 
you know, saying I love you to one another very early on. You know, I think for a lot of us, this is something that is initiated by the narcissist and it's really there to hook us in, um, right? Because um, as I'll share more in another episode on the cycle of emotional abuse, what happens is the love bombing phase, the first phase of the cycle is really about getting you hooked, getting you, you know, loving this person, you know, really romantically uh, falling for them and on a cellular chemical level, really getting addicted to them. Because as we know, the narcissist mask must come off, you know, it is just the cracks will start to show. And once that happens, the narcissist knows that you're more likely to leave because you're not going to put up with that abuse. But what they're so, you know, tactical um, and smart about is, you know, using this idolization and love bombing phase to really get us hooked so that we're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place, knowing and understanding, you know, from a logical point of view that the way they're treating us is, you know, ridiculous and, and painful and, you know, abusive. But on the other hand, we're so emotionally attached and, you know, possibly in that early stages of love or what we perceive as love that we find it very difficult to leave. Now, one of the other things that might start to happen, and this does normally take a little bit of time, but again, depending on how severe the narcissist is with their behaviours, you may or may not find that this progresses fairly quickly. So um, you, might, you might find that they start to subtly ignore you. Um, they might start to lose interest or get distracted or check their phone while they're talking to you. Now, I know that sounds a little bit silly and, you know, that's something that we might have all done here or there, you know, being distracted, maybe not fully being um, involved in a conversation or maybe even checked our phone. But what sets a narcissist apart from us is that they do it on purpose. And this really starts to open up, you know, a whole lot of drama because what happens is we'll start to basically pull this person up on their behavior, say that their, you know, lack of attention or, you know, them checking the phone is disrespectful and you know, that you would like them to pay attention when you're talking to them. Well, this gets us into a lot of trouble because this is where when we start to have boundaries and, you know, verbalise our boundaries, then the other person, you know, the narcissist will start to devalue us and put us down and make comments about us. So you might find yourself in these situations where they've misbehaved or, you know, they've been disrespectful and in any normal person, you could basically have this conversation with them and say, look, that was really not fair or like that really hurt me. You know, I would like you to pay attention, right? Whatever the situation is. And they would be able to respond, you know, with understanding and empathy, right? Regardless of whether they think they did something wrong, they would basically understand and take on how you feel and acknowledge that and really reflect on, well, um, you know, could they maybe improve on their behaviour? Maybe could they see it from your point of view? So this is something that the narcissist is not able to do. And so they basically will come back and attack and devalue you because you basically, you know, told them that that they're not good enough you know again part of what makes a narcissist so you know dangerous I think is that they will do anything you know they'll take go to any length to basically protect their self-image or their mask their false sense of self that they've created because of their inner deep wounds and 
again, this kind of follows on from what I mentioned about the fact that they might be checking their phone while you're talking to them. It might be that they're just, you know, generally disrespectful. They might not honour your time. They may turn up late on a um, date or, you know, with little or no sleep. I know that was my ex. And, you know, possibly on drugs. Maybe they were still drunk. Like, it sounds extreme, but you'll be surprised as how many people have experienced similar situations. And I think what the thing is, is it becomes worse when it becomes, you know, when this type of behaviour shows up more and more and more and you try and pull them up on their behaviour and you try and say to them, look, this isn't appropriate. And what makes it worse is that they won't apologise and they'll just brush over their, you know, your issue or they might project onto you and say, well, what about the time that you did this and this and this? And, you know, well, it's your fault because of this and this and this. So just be really mindful at those type of comments. And I always say, and you've probably heard me say this in one of the podcast episodes already, is that try as much as possible if you're still with an individual who you believe is narcissistic, just take a step back from the situation. Try not to get caught up too much in the details of what's going on and just look at their behavior. What is the behavior? Maybe it would help to write down exactly you know, what is presenting and how are they behaving and write down, you know, what are you doing in that situation as well. The more that we can kind of come from an unbiased place and look into our life and observe rather than, you know, bringing in our emotion and everything that comes along with that. It's just going to help you to see, you know, with a new perspective and some more clarity around what's actually happening. And from there, you can start to make very different choices about whether or not you will allow this type of behavior. And what happens is over time, a lot of narcissistic individuals are compulsive liars. Again, part of what they're doing is trying to protect their image or the image that they've created for themselves. And they don't want people to find out who they really are. And so you might find that you start to see little white lies and, you know, these white lies might get worse and worse and worse. And the stories don't quite add up. So there'll be like big gaps in what they say and what you think actually happened. You know, maybe there's some evidence, maybe other people have told you some things, well, you know, that show you that what they're saying doesn't match what the narcissist is saying. So again, I think the more that you can document and just keep whether it's in your phone or whether it's, you know, in a journal or something that you can hide away that the narcissist is definitely not going to find. Um, the more that you can do that, the more you're going to start to have clarity around what is actually presenting. Because like I said, emotionally, we're going to be really caught up in the details. We're not going to understand what's going on. And so if we can just black and white, put it on paper, we're going to get a very different perspective, right? It's almost like when you're you know, talking to a friend and they might be telling you about their relationship and you notice that things are not quite right, but they can't really see it because they're in it, right? And they're emotionally connected, but you're not, right? So you can give a different perspective and you're more likely to say to them, why don't you leave? You know, I think that's what happens to a lot of us when we tell people, it's like, A, they probably haven't experienced narcissistic abuse and B, you know, they're not emotionally attached to the situation and it's not their life. So much easier to make a judgment and you know give advice that's more extreme when you're not in it yourself 
And what you'll find is that, you know, another warning sign, something that I experienced and a lot of women who come to me for support have explained to me was, well, you know, it seems that the narcissist has a set of rules for themselves and another set of rules for, for them. And it means that, you know, rules that apply to them and then there's the rules that apply to everyone else. They, they feel like they, um, you know, are entitled and, you know, deserve to have their own set of rules that they live by, but everyone else, you know, has to do something different. And again, that is not what I think healthy, you know, friendships or relationships are about. It's about being respectful and having mutual values and beliefs and, you know, ways of living. And unfortunately, with narcissistic individuals, this is just not what's in their DNA. It's just not what, what they do. So what you might find when there's these two sets of rules is that they may have unrealistic expectations of love and nurturing from others. So they always want you to be there for them and, you know, they hold themselves to high standards, um, you know, in terms of, you know, expect expectations from what they want from you. But when it comes to actually giving and for you to receive on the other end of that relationship, if you, you know, are not receiving that love and attention the way that you're giving and you say something to them, well, they're just going to come back to you and devalue you and project onto you all the reasons why you're not worthy or lovable or, you know, why they don't have time to be there for you you know there are so many different reasons that you might experience but it's really important just to un to understand and just to start to notice you know again write down all the things that you do for them and then look at well what are all the things or lack of that you know is not happening for you and something that came up a lot for me and actually again a lot of women say this to me is that they, you know, were in situations where they were sick. Maybe it was cancer, maybe it was a broken bone, maybe it was the flu, you know, maybe it was another type of, you know, maybe hospital stay, um, you know, that they had to go to. And, you know, they relied on the narcissist to basically um, support them and that wasn't the case. I remember very clearly um, a few years ago I was celebrating my birthday with some friends at a hotel which was, probably about half an, hour, half an hour away from where I lived and uh, a friend of mine stayed with me and the next morning she went off to work and then I was there just to, you know, check out by myself. But overnight we had some uh, room service and I'd had some, um, some, you know, alcohol to drink but not a lot but I, I think I really came down with food poisoning and I was really, really sick and, you know, something that I just really rarely experienced. But it meant that I was so sick that I couldn't drive, I couldn't check out of the hotel. I managed to just get myself together enough by the time I had to leave. Um, but I spent hours and hours, um, you know, in the bathroom really, really unwell. And my ex uh, had basically put him in a, himself in a position where he'd been up for, you know, over 24 hours, didn't have much sleep. And um, basically said, oh, I can't pick you up, you know, because I can't drive because I'm so tired. But, you know, there were other ways he could have, you know, got a friend to drive or get a taxi or something, right, to come and pick me up. There was just no way I could drive, you know, with the potential of throwing up, um, you know, to get home. So that was really, really challenging. And there was just no one else that could really help me. And, you know, 
when you're in a relationship, you expect that that person's going to be there for you when no matter what happens. Um, and another thing that I remember happened was, and this was pretty much almost towards the end when I realized, hang on, something's really got to give was, um, we'd had an argument, I think over the phone or via text. And I was so angry that I went to my room and went to get something out of the cupboard. And my bed has this big wooden panel at the front of it. And um, there wasn't um, there wasn't um, much of a gap between the the wardrobe and my bed, and I actually managed to run straight into the bed panel, and I actually ended up breaking my middle toe. And that sounds really you know minor and silly, but because it was the middle toe, you know it was very painful, and I couldn't walk. And it wasn't until the following day that I could go to the doctor to get it checked out, who actually confirmed that it was broken. So. You know, I think the fact that I was that angry to hurt myself and then also that it was because of him, um, it just really proved to me that, wow, things must have been really bad for me to kind of use that much force to walk into my room and then accidentally run into my bed. And, you know, I think any time that we have a physical injury, it's a bit of a wake-up call and it makes us appreciate how much, um, you know, our bodies do for us and the fact that I really struggled to walk or stand and in the job that I had at the time, it made it really, really difficult. So, yeah, just notice how much are they really there for you and, you know, how much are you there for them and what you'll find generally is that you're overgiving. you know, you're giving all the time and probably more than, you know, what you should and that comes back to this codependency, you know, overgiving and sharing and overcompensating, I guess. So, um, you know, that's something that I'll definitely explore in another episode as well, because it is, um, you know, hugely fundamental in understanding how to heal and recover from narcissistic abuse. And it's looking at codependency and why we experience it. So... I think we've all probably, you know, listened to a lot of content that, you know, really talks about that a narcissistic individual really lacks empathy. And I would really question if they have any at all, to be honest. So a couple of things with that is that, you know, they really don't feel for other people. Um, they don't really feel emotion. Maybe if they're feeling attacked, you know, they're going to feel more of the negative emotions um, when someone, you know, supposedly does something to them. Um, but the other thing is they're not able to put themselves in another person's shoes, you know, and that's just an expression for really thinking about how would this other person feel, right? So for a lot of us as well, we're on the receiving end of narcissistic abuse because we're empaths, we're so sensitive, and that basically makes us, you know, targets for narcissistic abuse because narcissists are basically seeking out people who have love and emotion you know emotional supply to give and one of the things that I believe is really important is learning how to manage you know manage how much we give to others and also like how do we manage our emotions how do we manage how much we feel in front of others we've just got to learn to be really protective of our energy I believe but basically, when they don't feel empathy, this is a huge problem because, like I said, if you're trying to go to to them and, you know, have a conversation and say, this really hurt me or, you know, like when you're on your phone all the time when I'm trying to talk to you, then, you know, like that's disrespectful. Like they just don't understand 
how that's imposing on them, like how, why would you have a right to think that? And like I said, this is a massive problem. And I think one of the great things, if you're raising children and you're worried about whether they're going to be narcissistic, if they do have a narcissistic parent, I would definitely recommend to focus on nourishing and really bringing out those qualities within them that is you know getting them to learn about empathy you know thinking about other people being kind you know like really focusing on those qualities because it's actually a really you know it's a learned quality and a learned skill that we can all learn but it really does need to happen in childhood so I think that you can really start to help a child learn from another perspective and get them to see how others might feel um at you know at an early age and that's just going to you know give them the right behaviors that they'll be able to take forward into adult life now another one that i find so interesting is that narcissistic people have really poor boundaries so for instance they may regularly invade your privacy maybe they you know go through your belongings Maybe, you know, they expect you to read their minds and, you know, just know what they need and want all the time. And along with that, though, the reason why they have poor boundaries is because they don't respect and honour themselves. They actually really think very poorly of themselves. And it's to a point, obviously, where they've got this internal wounding and you know, when they don't have respect and love for themselves, everything is going to come from a dark place. It's going to come from a, you know, a from from defensive attacking type of behaviour. And that, you know, if they don't have boundaries and if they don't love and respect themselves, there is no way that they're going to be able to love and respect another human being. And something that I like to bring up in the support group that I run is this this quote that I heard somewhere and it was saying you can't outlove someone's self-hatred you can't outlove someone's self-hatred and just think about that for a moment because it is a really powerful quote and if you know where it's from please do let me know because I just can't for the life of me remember but it's this idea that I think for a lot of us empaths and codependents, we really think that we can love and support and nurture this person. You know, I think deep down we can feel their, we can feel their like self-hatred and we think, well, if we can only love them, you know, a little bit more, if we can just do a little bit more, then maybe it'll make everything okay. But all we're really doing is self-regulating their emotions in the short term and trying to, you know, prop up and keep up their self-esteem because they really don't have any. So just, yeah, just think about that. If you're still in a relationship with them and you know that they're narcissistic and you're really struggling to leave, maybe it would help just to ask yourself, you know, what, why am I staying and am I trying to outlove their self-hatred? So like I think I already mentioned, narcissistic individuals are really highly sensitive to criticism and any suggestion that they are not in the right is going to be, you know, absolutely a problem. And 
it's because they're already so critical of themselves. If you add any more criticism to that, then it's only going to make things worse and they're just going to end up defending themselves and projecting onto you all of the things that you've basically just tried to hold them accountable for. And another thing um, that I find is a really great um, analogy is this idea that, you know, with a narcissistic individual, it's my way or the highway. That's really their perspective. And so it's this idea that, you know, a narcissist is traveling on the highway and they're traveling in one direction. And if you're going to be in a relationship or any type of communication with one, then you need to stay on their highway and follow the same direction as they are. The minute you try and go against the traffic, against them, you're going to find a lot of friction, a lot of arguments, a lot of problems, right? Because you're not following their path, their perspective and what they want. So they believe that they know best and that their way of doing things is correct. Now, I, you know, I don't want you to think that, you know, if you are highly opinionated about a topic and you're very passionate about something that you believe you're right about, then that doesn't make you narcissistic. I think the, the distinction here is that, you know, when questioned, there is just no reasoning with them at all. I think for, you know, the rest of us, we can at least acknowledge and respect another person's point of view and work with that and just understand them, right? But with narcissistic individuals, there is just no making sense with them, you know, not, not there's just no way of getting through to them about what you believe. And I'll finish with this. Um, it's something that I think in hindsight we all recognise, but at the time it is, you know, we, we fall for it so easily that it's just something that we don't recognise. And that is that, you know, these type of people come off quite charming and charismatic and they always know the right thing to say. You know, maybe there's a certain area of their life where they feel really you know, they feel really superior and they just know what they're doing. Um, and again, this can seem really exciting and, you know, um, yeah, just like an adventure that they're so charming and charismatic and they're just like a really big people person, right? But again, it, it does take time for someone to see a narcissistic person's personality, you know, like the cracks start to show, but that does take time. And you know, for some, the cracks appear earlier than others. So there's no real set time in which you should recognize what's happening. But obviously, the earlier, the better. So if you are in a situation where you've had multiple relationships with narcissistic people, um, and you want to learn more about recognizing these behaviors, then, you know, the more you educate yourself, the more you, you know, listen to podcasts, watch videos, and just even try and find a support group in your area, the more that it's just going to become ingrained in you and you're just going to be able to notice it in people regardless of whether it's a relationship or not. So I think it's really about, like I said, it being educated, recognising it when you do and just almost having like a bit of a checklist in your mind of things that you should watch out for. And I think the key warning signs that I've kind of mentioned in this episode will really help frame and give you a great perspective on what these type of people are like. So that's it for today's episode. Um, again, if you have any um, information, any um, insights into what I've shared, anything that's really resonated with you, I'd love to hear from you. 
Um, you can, like I said, find all the details on my podcast um, on my website. And I look forward to, um, you know, running another episode for you soon. Bye.